This is Culturally Attuned. Brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace in partnership with Burning Man Project. If we hadn't listened to them, I think we would have still gotten you know, a job done. We would have been successful by our own measurements, but not really creating the deep roots in the community that allowed us to do so many more things after that. Many things that were outside um, what we considered, you know, what we were there to do. How should we respond to different visions and expectations when working with someone from another culture? I'm Dominic Kirley, and today our guest is Carmen Mock, the co-founder of Burners Without Borders, where she spent 12 years working on international projects in disaster relief and community resiliency. In this episode, Carmen reflects on the importance of being open to change when working cross-culturally. We cannot remain wedded to our own agenda to the exclusion of what is important for those who have a stake in the outcome. The most effective plans and strategies usually result from listening and collaborating with locals to help meet their own needs. Burners Without Borders supported a six-year disaster response effort with over 6,000 volunteers after the 2007 earthquake uh, that decimated the city of 80,000 people in Pisco, Peru. This was an earthquake that was an 8.0 on the Richter scale and lasted for two minutes. It's one of the most you know, profoundly gigantic earthquakes that have ever happened with a population. And it was uh, just heart-wrenching uh, when we arrived to see an entire city basically just leveled to the ground. When we came in to Pisco as three green disaster responders, we felt there was a certain mandate of what needed to be done to quickly remove rubble and help people rebuild their lives. But shortly after we arrived in Pisco, we were approached by the local free dive fishermen who expressed a lot of concern about the rampant dynamite fishing that was occurring along the coast. Now, we weren't there to do this. You know, we were really there to help people rebuild their lives, but it became apparent that um, this dynamite fishing was destroying marine habitat as well as putting their lives in danger. And the practice also killed anything in the blast radius, including, you know, protected marine life like sea turtles. But what we realized very soon by listening to the locals and the community was that there was much more that needed to be done that was important to them. And if we were going to build trust in the community and actually be there for the long term, we really needed to listen and come up with strategies and plans that worked for them and not just our own agenda. So we were like, okay, well, what do you guys want to do? And they asked us to use the disaster as like a a kind of a gap in the, the whole chaos of it all to actually do something really good that might not have been able to be possible before. The community's vision was much greater than just recovery and reconstruction, as Carmen and her team learned. It kind of blew us away because we were not expecting to, we were expecting to move stuff out of the way, repair bridges so that rubble could be removed. And we were very surprised when the fishermen approached us to do this. And we really didn't know why. And I think it was because they could see that we were doing things in, you know, kind of an out of the box way. So I think the fishermen who were also dads and 
parents of children going to these schools um, saw something in our group that they thought this is, these are the people we want to approach to see if this thing that's very important to us, which is our marine life is being decimated, our lives as fishermen are at stake, you know, the future of the environment here um, if they keep dynamite fishing. And so they asked our group to help. But we were, we were very surprised um, and um, because our birds up borders had really only had uh, Hurricane Katrina uh, under our belt as far as um, deployment, we, they were, we were pretty green. We didn't really know how, what to do, you know, necessarily. And so anything was on the table. So they asked us to help them transform an old building on the beach into an environmental education center that would address not only dynamite fishing, but also educate the larger community about how they could support the health of the marine environment. So volunteers got to work rehabbing the building and developing posters and educational materials with the fishermen that would eventually be displayed. And the grand opening was set for an upcoming festival holiday to attract as many people as possible. And to our great surprise, there was a long line out the door for the entire day. And we weren't sure how the educational materials would be received or if anyone would take the time to read them. But we were thrilled to see people of all ages taking the time to read and engage with the materials and each other. So after the grand opening, this new environmental center became a hub for all fishermen and the community to learn how to use computers, take English language classes that were um, primarily taught by our volunteers over that six-year period. And it was just one of the, the best projects we had during our time there. And it was a true collaboration with the people. And it allowed us uh, to build trust in the community uh, and also uh, create a model for, you know, what else is possible? You know, what else do you guys want to build here rather than just rebuilding after a disaster your home? Um, but how do you strengthen a community in a way that can make a real difference for everybody? Great outcomes can happen when local stakeholders set the agenda. Carmen addresses some of the takeaways. I think with this example with the free dive fishermen, you know, when you arrive in a disaster zone, you want to feel like you can help as much as possible and you want to show the people who've just been through hell that you're there and you're competent and you're capable and you're going to get the job done. And I think that for me, you know, we could have easily said, oh, well, actually, we're not here to build an environmental center. Um, we're here to move stuff around and get the debris off the beach and do these other things that we think we're supposed to do because we're calling ourselves disaster responders. But when you're really listening to the community and they come to you with something that's a real need, that kind of stops, you know, stopped us in our tracks and made us realize like, okay, we don't know everything. And we need to be very open to what the community says they want and what they need and slow down so that we're not just coming in thinking we know everything and, you know, none of us had ever been to Pisco, Peru before. And so it's incredibly important to whenever anybody stops and says, hey, I need this or can you guys do this, that you not think that there's a box that they're outside of, but just like, okay, how do we include this in if possible? So that we are not seen as um, foreign, you know, and I think that when you truly listen to people um, without an agenda, which I think is key, that enables the, the real trust between, you know, us and the community that creates the strong relationships 
you know, to go forward so that real change can happen. And it's not just, you know, moving stuff around because anybody can do that. You know, we, we saw very quickly that the people who had just survived this disaster were the experts of their own experience and it behooved us to really listen to them and their needs. If we hadn't listened to them, I think we would have still gotten you know, a job done. We would have been successful by our own measurements, but not really creating the deep roots in the community that allowed us to do so many more things after that. Many things that were outside um, what we considered you know, what we were there to do. Whenever I travel, especially if the community is viewing me as an expert, I humble myself immediately and I ask a lot of questions and listen. Asking questions creates, I think, an open stance. People can feel that and it enables trust actually to happen in ways that um, can go a lot further than me coming in as a so-called expert and talking without having any idea what the people have experienced. We asked Carmen if there was ever a time when a project did not work out and how she handled the situation. Following the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, Sam Block, who was instrumental in the Burners Without Borders Peru Rebuilding Project, put together a team in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, to create a hub for NGO volunteers to live and work, as well as a demonstration project that would show like different kinds of housing and composting, toilets, and different things like that that Haitians could you know, really take back into their own homes. And this also included like a skills training area for um, Haitians and, uh, and an aquaponics program that could teach various schools that visited a demonstration project how to grow their own food. So when I arrived in Port-au-Prince and at this location, there were two volunteers who had come in to build the aquaponics project. They needed a lot of rocks for the project and I found them sifting rocks out of dirt that they had found on the property and it was taking forever. And they only had a short amount of time to complete the project while they were in the country. So I suggested that, hey, Burns Up Borders, we can donate a truck full of rocks so that they could finish the project on time. Problem solved. But during this time, a cholera epidemic was sweeping across the country. And it was right at the beginning of it. And we had to be really careful about sanitizing our shoes every time we entered the property as to not you know, spread the disease further. And this was a dangerous time for Haitians and anyone working in the area. And I had received a lot of information on how to put in, you know, practice, best practices, how not to spread the disease. And so we found a truck, we ordered the rocks. And when the dump truck returned and was backing up onto the property, water was gushing out of the back of the truck. As the driver dumped the load onto the grass, I asked where the rocks came from and why were they wet? And I just assumed that they would come from a company that sold building materials and gravel like in the U.S. or even, you know, like in Pisco, how we had purchased materials to rebuild. And it turns out the rocks had just been taken from the river, the same river that was known as the culprit for carrying cholera. And now it had just been dumped in the middle of the property. And I had this sinking feeling with tears in my eyes that I had just created a scenario that would undo all the precautions we took to keep this potentially like deadly bacteria out of the area and was going to kill everybody. I felt really stupid and ashamed that given the obvious dangers associated with this epidemic that I hadn't asked more questions and applied what I'd learned about the epidemic before I thought I was efficiently solving a problem. 
Um, unfortunately, we were able to bleach the rocks, rake them, let the sun do its work, sanitizing them. But it took you know, like three days to complete the job. And the project was finished on time. Um, but I learned, you know, many valuable lessons. But the main one was about checking my Western ideas about efficiency and my assumptions that, you know, the, the quickest way to the end is the best way. And I could have gone sideways in so many ways. Unfortunately, it didn't. But I will never forget that lesson. Successful projects, like those that Carmen talked about, start with listening to people, building trust, and being open to changing course. We may also need to set aside our own vision and preconceptions, adjust our expectations, and recalibrate goals and priorities. How comfortable are you with sharing responsibility and decision-making? Which approach do you value more, task-based problem-solving or building a process and relationships? How might you overcome the differences in those approaches to collaborate successfully? Thanks for listening to this episode of Culturally Attuned. I'm Dominic Curley at the United States Institute of Peace, and thanks to our partner, Burning Man Project.